When I was a prosecutor, I don't remember having three to $5,000 of spare change just at random available to me. So she's doing really well. She's the one out there committing a crime literally benefiting from the prosecution of a public person and going on trips and, and vacations with an individual she's sleeping with who she hid from the court and they were together in the prosecution of Donald Trump. If I had ever done any one of those things, I'd be disbarred. That's what Alvin Bragg, that's what Letitia James, that's what Jack Smith, that's what all of these prosecutors, family wills want. They want to be the ones that took Donald Trump off the campaign trail. When you have a rigged two-tier system of justice, that's the only way it could happen. All right, folks, welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. Thanks for kicking your week off with us, I hope that you have the day off. And if you don't, well, take a break with us for the next little bit. Uh, it is President's Day. And uh, I'm gonna put a couple pictures of the presidents that I've met. I've met them all actually going back. I think I met Ford, not while he was in office, but I met Ford, uh, both Bushes. Uh, and obviously I worked for Trump. That's not bad. Um, you know, it, it got me thinking though, because it is President's Day in 2016, you, we know now what they did to go after Donald Trump, the dossier and all this false Russia crap. And then you look at what they did in 2020, suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop. And now these cases, let's face it, they are trying to bankrupt him and they're trying to kick him off the ballot and they are trying to put him in prison. That's pretty obvious. It's just amazing when you stop and think about what's happening. So I'm excited about a great conversation today with my friend and former colleague, Cash Patel. He was the chief of staff of the Department of Defense in the final days of the Trump administration. He was a senior director at the National Security Council before that. And then he was on the Hill as the senior advisor and national security advisor to Devin Nunes on the House Intelligence Committee before that. Uh, so you talk about a guy who really knows what's happening on, and he had been a public defender and a lawyer before entering all of that. So he knows what's going on. His last book, Government Gangsters, is available. Go order it now. The link's in our bio. But I want to sit down and talk to Cash about those cases and everything that's happening in the Intel world. Without further ado, Cash Patel. Cash, uh, happy President's Day to you. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for taking your uh, your holiday and spending it with us. Hey, it's great to be with, here, uh, with you here. And I'm glad we're celebrating President's Day, talking about how to make America great again. Well, there is something ironic about what we're talking about today. I mean, it is President's Day and we're talking about going after presidents. The thing that's interesting, most people, and I said this in the bio, know you from either your books, Fight With Cash, your Intel, but you started your career as a public defender. <laughs> and so I want to start with the big case last week, this four, what, $535 million, like, <laughs> From a public defender standpoint, what was the what was the crime here? And I know I keep hearing this over and over on TV that he had a right to do it, right? And mm. and I got more hate mail about my comments on this case online than I have since I left the White House. People like <laughs> you keep sucking up to Donald Trump, and I'm like, this take Donald Trump out for a second. Tell yeah. me who the victim is here. Tell me anyone else. There are people that have killed people and the civil judgment is way less than this. So put your public defender hat back on for a second and just explain how this possibly could have happened. Well, when you have a rigged two-tier system of justice, that's the only way it could happen. Because look, the one thing I learned as a public defender is everyone's entitled to due process, criminally and civilly. And beyond that, the one thing I learned that if there's going to be a fraud case, someone has to be defrauded. And if someone's not defrauded, then there is no fraud, i.e. in the Trump case, when they say the victim is, quote unquote, the state of New York and its right. banks, but the banks made money, that's the opposite of criminality. 
And so to me, it just shows that even the state civil can I just can I just I I don't mean to interrupt you because here's as as a lay person, you laid it out exactly as I'm hearing. They're saying, let's just and I'm making this up just so everyone understands. So basically, it sounds to me like the case they're making is, hey, Trump, you only paid the bank four percent back, but you should have paid them back like six percent. And therefore, they should have made more money. But still, it's the bank that's aggrieved. It's not like the state of New York would have gotten more money or society at whole large or, or some dude in Manhattan. The bank chose those terms to be acceptable, correct? So I still am missing. I get it. They could have, the, the, the court saying you should have paid more theoretically because those properties weren't what they were and your finances weren't what they were. Okay, fair enough. But in no case is the state of New York or anyone in New York aside from that bank or that lending institution, the victim. And they were fine. They were like, hey, we got our 4% or whatever it was. No, the banks came in. Literally, it's like putting on the victims, quote unquote, of a crime and them coming in and 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 them heaping praise on the person that supposedly <laughs> committed a crime against them. The banks came in and said, we made tons of money and we did it on time. There was no uh, debt deferral. There was no penalty fees. We got all of our principal plus interest back. The banks were like, we're really happy with this deal. And then New York State comes in and Letitia James and says, well, we're going to prosecute you anyway. And here's the arcane thing about it all. This prosecution in in civil court was done without a jury of his peers. This judge came in and basically convicted Donald Trump before the case even started, just like Letitia James had convicted him during her campaign to be the attorney general. I think constitutionally, this thing's all getting reversed because you cannot deprive someone of the right to do business and find them a quarter billion dollars plus and just say, oh, it's up to a judge to decide because we use this one arcane statute. Hey guys, you know, when you look at the market these days, it's got its ups and its downs. You always have to worry about what Biden's gonna do, which is why I made a choice to call my friends at Bishop Gold Group. And you can go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to start your journey with them, to talk about how you can add precious metals into your investment strategy. Now, maybe you just want to invest like I did. Maybe you've got a 401k or an IRA that's sitting on the shelf somewhere from a previous job and you want to roll it over. The cool part is they can have that conversation with you. You can either go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean and you get a free promotion, which I would do because it's free and I like free stuff. Or you can actually even give them a call at 1-844-984-1616. Just tell them that Sean sent you and have that conversation with them about starting your journey with financial medals with Bishop Gold Group. The thing is, you're getting hit up all over the place. I know it. I hear all the commercials. The difference is, I've talked to a lot of them. I had that conversation with Bishop Gold Group. They are full of integrity and trust and experience. They know what they're doing. Call them or go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to start your journey, your investment strategy with financial medals with them. Gold, silver, platinum, whatever you want, they'll create a strategy that's right for you. Bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. Everyone I talk to says that they have lost faith in in New York, right? That even if it had been a jury, there's no way that 12 people would have yeah. not convicted Donald Trump. So w- when, you, when you say, uh, and I agree with you, I look at this and I, and this is the case that I try to make to the Trump hater. Take Trump's name out of this for a second. Would you, do you really think that this is a fair penalty against a non-victim crime, right? And they just mm-hmm. stop and they'll, cause I get the, the, the email say, Sean, he's a total liar and a fraud his whole life. Well, okay. This wasn't like he was going up to St. Peter and having to account for his whole life. This was a criminal case or a, a civil case in New York city. So mm-hmm. I, here's the question. Do you have faith 
in the system, when you say that it'll be overturned, that it will be because I look and go, oh my God, like if, if this judge, if this played out the way that it did, I don't know that I have faith, but I don't know enough about the system. It's going to take time. Like, I definitely don't have faith in the New York state level trial system and maybe not even the appellates. Like, this is going to have to go through multiple levels of appeal, like everything else in Trump world, and ultimately will hopefully get to the right decision by somebody in federal court or the Supreme Court. It's not going to happen overnight, but I think that's why this is the importance of the fight. This is why Donald Trump is the target, because he's fighting this case for every single other person that is either in support of him or in support of his policies in some way. And so he's the one they've chosen to pick on first, and he's the one that's sort of being the, the, the juggernaut of justice here. So it's going to take a little bit of a time for a course correction to occur, but I do believe by the time... These cases all get to the appellate level. We've got Supreme Court cases. There's going to be this big intersection of justice, and people are just going to literally light their hair on fire and say, okay, enough's enough. We have to get back to a system of justice that works for this country. And it's like you said, take out Trump's name from not just this case, any of those cases, right? right. And it's not like, I mean, take it down to Georgia just for one second and say Cash yeah, Patel was a, was a special prosecutor, not against Donald Trump, but Joe Biden. And Cash Patel then hires some lady to be his number two and start sleeping with her. And they are going on love boat cruises together. I mean, what do you think the media would do to me? I, I, the if thing I that's that. so funny, can I just, I'm glad you segued into that case because I, I'm watching her, Fanny, Fanny, whatever her name is, Willis, uh, her testimony. And I kept thinking to myself, this is like, the idea that they brought race and everything into this where people are like, so you just happen to have like five grand of cash. She's like, it's a black thing. And I'm like, if, if anyone else had said that we'd be going to your point, lighting our hair on fire and yet it's over and over again, it's a black thing. Like, I don't, I don't, I cannot imagine that that's just entire, like people are paying like for a ton of stuff in cash, uh, handing out the cash because they keep it. And yet everyone's reaction afterwards, to your point, was wow, she was a strong, strong witness. And uh, she, like, well, you think one of the guys on CNN said, it's likely she ends up with a cable contract. And I'm like, yeah, with you guys. But it's just, <laughs> I, I keep thinking in opposite world, this is Cash Patel was completely defiant and looked like a moron because he carries four grand in cash around. Right. Um, and, and, and I wouldn't get the minority card. Let me just tell you, as a brown man, they would not give me that sweet support of you are a minority. So you get to do whatever you want to create another system of justice. Also, by the way, when I was a prosecutor, I don't remember having three to five thousand dollars of spare change just at random available to me. So she's doing really well. I remember how much money I made when I was a public defender and prosecutor and my mounting debt from law school. Uh, maybe she's working on some other things outside of the legal courtroom uh, or she's auditioning for these lucrative contracts that you're talking about on CNN. But to me, you know, when you see the lead number one elected prosecutor in your county come into a courtroom and eviscerate the Constitution and then blame race, me as a, put this case aside for a second. I was I am a minority. I was a minority when I was a public defender, when I was in the Trump administration. And, and she set minorities back. She didn't help them. She's the one out there committing a crime, literally benefiting from the prosecution of a public person and going on trips and, and vacations with an individual she's sleeping with who she hid from the court and they were together in the prosecution of Donald Trump. If I had ever done any one of those things, I'd be disbarred. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole on this because 
because uh, there's a lot to get to, especially with you. But I do love the fact that she injected race over and over again, saying it's a black thing, right? Like that we all keep cash. But then she also, when asked about the dates of the relationship, said, you know how men are and women, yeah. we do things different. And it was just so funny to see the progressive movement shut up. She's injecting race as her excuse for everything. Then she's injecting gender and talking about how women do things very different than men. And da, da, da. And yet all of these people on the left who complain to want a colorblind society and, and want gender pronouns that are interchangeable didn't say a word when she kept saying, oh, it's a, it's a female thing or he, does, he believes this because men think like this. I just got a kick out of the fact that not one of these people on the far left objected to how she injected race and gender into everything that she said. But because it was in pursuit of getting Donald Trump, well, that's okay. It doesn't matter. And, <laughs> and it's okay to date someone who says the only thing black women should be doing is making me a sandwich. I mean, you literally can't make this stuff up. She said this in court on international TV and carried around like it was she was the victim. She's not the victim. The system of justice and Donald Trump, they're the victims. And I think what we saw is not only is this case need to be thrown out, but she gave Donald Trump more ammunition to showcase the two-tier system of justice and maybe even Jack Smith has to this day. So is the big issue in the Georgia case the fact that she was sleeping with this guy, Wade, and that they had a relationship? Or is it that he theoretically used the money that Fulton County was paying him to take her on trips, i.e. a kickback? What's, what's the, or is it both? It's both. Look, as an officer of the court, when you bring a case, a prosecution, you have an obligation to disclose under the law to the judge any possible biases you might have. So if you are sleeping with the individual charged in bringing that prosecution, we're not here to judge that. You need to inform the court of it so the judge is aware and they can make the appropriate rulings. Putting that aside, that's one issue. The next issue for any other prosecutor is you are never allowed to receive, even collaterally, a monetary benefit. That is, no one on the prosecution can even be like, oh, thanks for that very nice dinner because I'm representing so-and-so or prosecute. It's illegal. It's literally illegal. And we're not talking about like a trip down to a Disney World um, in their own car. We're talking about flights, cruise ship voyages, friends, moms, parents. Everybody was in on this to the tune of thousands and thousands of dollars. All the while, this individual made $650,000. That's a lot of money, Sean, that was never disclosed. And that in and of itself should preclude her from being a prosecutor basically ever again. Um, so where, how, this thing in your mind plays out that what this judge, what, does he dismiss her? Does he, how, how does that case play out? He'll probably sideline her and then they'll have to bring in a whole, what we call, paint team, like a whole conflict-free DA's office, essentially. So they'll have to farm this thing out to some other office. Who knows where and who knows how long that's going to take. But the amount of appellate issues that have already been created for Donald Trump, um, I think the case should be dismissed, but I don't think the DA or the judge are going to go that far. So they talked about, and I, this is the last thing I want to ask you about this because I was intrigued. They both claimed that the relationship started after she appointed him, right? And, and I'm not really sure if that matters, because to your point, they should have still That's notified right. the, the court. But uh, this woman, Robin Yurti, testified that the relationship actually existed back in 2019. Does that matter? 
Yes, it's critical. It doesn't matter in terms of what we're talking about, in terms of the rights that were violated against Donald Trump. What matters is the following. The judge conducted an evidentiary hearing. It was his call to do so. So now the judge has to make a credibility decision. Does he believe Fannie and Willis or, or does he believe this new witness? And here's the thing, Sean, if he believes the witness, then Fannie, the DA, just lied under oath, which is a separate felony. So if the judge comes down on the side of the witness and says, I believe her and there's evidence to support that you were sleeping together in 2019, then you, the DA, will be held not only in contempt of court, but brought up on charges for perjuring yourself under oath, which is a whole nother crime. So it could be a whole nother set of issues for her. All right, folks, are you scared of the dark? Because <laughs> I can be sometimes. I know my kids get scared of the dark. But imagine going without power for a few hours in the middle of the night, uh, a few days weeks, maybe even months. And there's all sorts of threats that are out there. I spent, you know, time at the U.S. War College planning, doing contingency planning, seeing how people get ready for things. The one thing that you can do for yourself right now is go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer. Check out the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. I have one. This is how I make sure that if something were to happen to me, I could plug in my refrigerator, my computers, and gosh knows those kids with the computers and the tablets, they would want those. Your phone, all the things that you rely on power on, medical devices that you may need, all of it can be done with the Patriot Power Generator. It can be powered through solar panels that come with it for free. You can bring it inside your house. It's portable. You can put it in your car and take it somewhere if you had to go somewhere, help out a neighbor or a family member. No fumes inside. All of that gets powered with the Patriot Power Generator. And because of those solar power panels, you never have to worry about getting it recharged or refilled with gas. No, no, no. That's all taken care of with the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. Go to 4patriots.com slash Spicer to check it out. This is the kind of thing that you need in your house when and if an emergency happens. Be prepared. Get the Patriot Power Generator 2000X at 4patriots.com slash Spicer. Okay, so we got three more to kind of just get through. There's this Alvin Bragg case in New York, which is to deal with these payments, this bookkeeping issue to Stormy Daniels that still blows my mind. I don't understand as a civilian how mm. you can, I mean, I thought the statute of limitations were there for a reason, right? I mean, they, <laughs> and, and I mean, like, that's the whole point. You always see, I love Law & Order. I watch all of them. And it's always like, damn it, we're just past the statute of limitations. We have to go after something else. But at least they'll make up a new charge. They'll be like, oh, he violated his parole. We can nab him on that. They literally went after Donald Trump on a bookkeeping charge that had passed the statute of limitations and then made it a felony. How do, I just don't, I don't, I don't understand that. To me, I look at that and go, it, how do you not walk into court and say, your honor, this is when I'm accused of doing X. Today is the day, look at the calendar. Sorry, Charlie. Yeah, look, you're right. It used to mean the, the rule of law used to actually stand for something when the statute of limitations. But beyond that, look at the case. Their key witness is a multiple convicted felon in Michael Cohen, who has made a living out of lying against his former boss, not to mention the fact that he probably broke attorney-client privilege when bringing this prosecution and assisting Alvin Bragg. So there's a whole slew of other issues that need to be raised on this case alone. But when you talk about fact witnesses, you're talking about two people that hate Donald Trump and are monetarily benefiting from that hatred, going on national TV and lying about President Trump. So of course, Alvin Bragg is going to bring this case because it's gonna make him quote unquote famous in the mainstream media. But when you look at the bias and the facts, Donald Trump should be exonerated in this case too, but unfortunately it's gonna take another level of appeals, et cetera, to get down the road on that one. 
knowing all of the facts as we know them today, that case is supposed to start on March 25th. Yeah. How quick will that resolve itself? Uh, oh, no, those are, this is what they want. They don't just want to convict Donald Court in the, in the courts. They want to convict him in the court of public opinion, and they want him to sit in court during a presidential election year so he's off the campaign trail for 30, 60, 90 days. These state court cases take time. And I guarantee you, Alvin Bragg is going to drag this thing out for weeks, if not months, and force Donald Trump to sit in the seat instead of- Does he have to to, Does he have to sit in the seat? I know in a lot of these cases, he's flown to New York you know, because he wants to be there. If, if Alvin Bragg is pursuing this case on March 25th, does he have to physically sit there? Is that, is that part of the deal in that one? Well, this is a criminal case. So it's, it's very rare that a defendant is not mandated to sit there during a criminal, a civil case, you can be excused and kind of come in and out and whatever. So I don't know the inner workings of New York state law on this specific crime. Maybe the judge gives him the permission to not be there, but I just don't think that's legally possible. And I think the AG and Alvin Bragg knows that. So he doesn't care whether he actually wins or loses the case. He's going to have a victory in his head if he keeps Donald Trump off the campaign trail for 60 days. And how long, how, how do we see this case? Is this one of these cases that takes a week, a month? Like, what does that look like? Oh, I think he's, he's already publicly said, I think it's at least a month. You're okay. talking 20 days, 20 days of court work. That's, that's a month. Um, if not more. So, you know, that takes you past Super Tuesday into April and into the rest of the primaries and basically creeps right up against the the Republican National Convention. And is that a good thing for Trump or a bad thing? Well, I think it's it. I think Donald Trump will figure out a way to use it as a benefit to explain to the world the two tier system of justice. But I think it harms his ability to be on the campaign trail right. like he is right now and talk to Americans all across the country. Look, that's what Alvin Bragg, that's what Letitia James, that's what Jack Smith, that's what all of these prosecutors, family wills want. They want to be the ones that took Donald Trump off the campaign trail. That's what yeah, they let, want. Let's, so I, I want to get to the two other cases before we move on, but the, you've got this Jack Smith case here in D.C. Trump has asked for immunity, which is central to the whole thing. What I don't get is this. The, the, in my mind, this seems to, right now, the way that it's been explained to me is that the, the issue of immunity for a president has never been dis- decided or discussed. You've got to, everyone on their face has to agree that the president of the United States in their official act has to have immunity. Because if you put a bomb out there and it blew up, if you withdraw from Afghanistan and, and 13 soldiers get killed, uh, you know, just hypothetically, things like that, you could have been sued if the president doesn't have immunity. It seems to me what the court's really deciding is, was the president of the United States, Donald Trump, acting in his capacity as president when he did what he did on January 6th? But so far, they have ruled he has no immunity. Yeah, the lower courts have. I think the Supreme Court might come down differently. I mean, we're talking about the lower courts in D.C., which, right. you know, is about as left-leaning as you can get. I mean, Judge Chutkin is basically the modern-day version or the D.C. version of Judge Engoran from New York. I mean, their hatred for Donald Trump is visible every single day. The irony of all this is, remember who actually asked the Supreme Court to review presidential immunity first? Jack Smith. Not Donald Trump. Jack Smith asked for an expedited ruling from the Supreme Court on presidential immunity. Then when Donald Trump implemented his constitutional right to appeal the trial judge's decision and go to the appellate court, then use his constitutional right to go to the Supreme Court, Jack Smith and the DOJ come in and say, wait a second, no, never mind. Don't go to the Supreme Court. We need, we need you to move faster. 
revealing their true intent. We want Donald Trump in trial, whether it's in state or federal court. We want him off the campaign trail. And oh, by the way, the Constitution doesn't apply to Donald Trump. He doesn't have access to the Supreme Court anymore. I mean, this is the hypocrisy of their ways. And this is why I think the Supreme Court, among many reasons, will come down on the side of President Trump because they will, one, grant him his constitutional right. And two, as you outlined, if this president doesn't have immunity, then no presidents do. And then we got but a different case. Don't you think that to me is where, I, if I were a lower court judge, you're, you're really setting up, it's, it's like that old Katie bar the door expression that suddenly, great, let's start filing cases against Biden and Obama going in Clinton yeah. and saying, great, okay, here's all of the, if you don't have immunity, then here are the actions you took as president that resulted in some adverse way. You know, people were yeah. killed, the economy was harmed, et cetera. No, you're absolutely right. And what about, hey, remember the time that Barack Obama drone struck an American citizen overseas? Doesn't look too legal now. Shouldn't we be uh, prosecuting him? Who's going to go put the cuffs on him? I mean, th these are just major national security decisions. And I'm not even second guessing Obama for doing that. I'm saying if he doesn't have immunity, then that's we all- what I, That's what I, I just don't get. These guys on the left, it's so short-sighted because I just don't know why somebody right now in the short term doesn't say, fine, let's sue Obama. Let's just do it because you draw it once now that there seems to be at least a precedent to say, well, the lower court here in D.C. said that it was fine. Well, there might be an American. Well, this DOJ obviously won't. So it would have to be an American whose family was infringed, whose rights were infringed, suing on behalf of someone to take on Obama. Maybe they'll do that. Actually, that's a good idea. Um, all right. So then the, the other case that's still out there is the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case. And this kind of, to me, is is sort of like, ties together with, with Joe Biden and, and that special counsel ruling, because for a while, the idea was everybody was so outraged. Oh my God, Donald Trump has these documents and they're out there. And then it started to reveal that Joe Biden did too. And I like to remind people that the narrative the media tells all the time is, well, the big difference is Joe Biden cooperated and he came forward. Well, let's just remind everyone. Joe Biden had those documents for decades, decades. He only came forward when he watched what was happening to Trump. He didn't randomly stumble into his garage and say, you know what, I should have these authorities come here and right. help me figure out what's, that, that, that's, that's a wholly different scenario than watching Trump and going, oh my God, I might have them too. I should come forward because I'm gonna get screwed if I don't do it. He didn't voluntarily come forward. He saw the writing on the wall. But talk to me about the Mar-a-Lago classified document case and how maybe the, the special counsel Robert Hur's ruling against prosecuting Biden could help Trump if it, if it does. Yeah, look, Robert Hur gave Joe Biden the Hillary Clinton treatment that James Comey gave her. I mean, literally, it's, it's the same. They basically said, you're guilty. The law requires you be prosecuted, but we are gonna do something that's unheard of in the Department of Justice and create an exoneration off-ramp for you because of your political background and who you are. I mean, that's literally the decision they took. Never in my career as a prosecutor did I, or when I was a public defender, did I able to go to DOJ and say, hey, my bank robber returned the money from the bank robbery, so don't charge him. It's okay, he's cooperating. That's completely unheard of. Nor, nor do they come in and say, well, your guy is a little old and it would be tough to convict him in front of a jury, so we're just not gonna do the work. I mean, I've, it's literally unheard of. It doesn't matter. They put 98-year-olds in prison. Whenever you find out they broke the law, you charge them. So to your question about how this could help Trump, I think in the immediacy, this helps them in this public specter more than almost anything I've ever seen because people are out there. Everyday Americans are saying, wait a second. <laughs> if you were going to prosecute Trump on this, how are you giving Biden a pass? He had 
way more documents for way longer in multiple locations and he doesn't have presidential immunity. He doesn't have that privilege. He was never president when he took these documents. And he's saying, now I'm gonna blame my staff. Remember, this is the same president, Joe Biden, who hired an author to write a book and they had recordings about the classified documents that he took and then they destroyed those recordings and DOJ didn't even charge that guy. So if they're not gonna charge any of those people for literally a conspiracy, not just the taking of classified documents, but the destruction of evidence, then there's no way they can prosecute Donald Trump. I think that's gonna have to be litigated. And so, but when you say no way, they're doing it. I mean, right. I, I think her, at least from what I read in his report, almost wanted to go out of his way to explain why what Trump had done was different and therefore okay to go after him on and why we're letting Biden off the hook. Well, he had to have put down that as justification. I mean, no one buys it. And I think the court in the Florida documents case would be wise to demand that the attorney general come in before her and say, why are you prosecuting President Trump on these facts when the facts for Joe Biden were far worse and there's no privilege claim? And she's allowed to do that. So I think they, there needs to be some serious answers. Um, and also drag in Robert Hur. He made the decision uh, supposedly for Merrick Garland to bail out Joe Biden. All right, folks, if you're a longtime watcher of the show, you know about my friends at Delta Rescue. Uh, go to deltarescue.org and you can check it out. If you're an animal lover, you're going to want to see the amazing work that they're doing there. And it was all started by a guy named Leo Grillo. I've gotten to know Leo over the, the last several months. He's a great guy that had a mission, which was to give abandoned and malnourished and maltreated animals, dog, cats, horses, a sanctuary, not a shelter. It's a no-kill sanctuary. And if you go to deltarescue.org, there's a bunch of videos on there. If you're an animal lover like I am, I've rescued three dogs. Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. You watch these animals that have been abandoned have a place to roam free to get the nutrition they need, the veterinarian care that they need for life. Now, Leo started this off when he rescued one dog, but it has now become a lifelong mission for them. So if you go to deltarescue.org, you can not only see what they're doing, but you can help them out. And they rely solely on our contributions. There's no government funding, no nothing. It's all you and me and everybody else who's an animal lover out there. So you can give $5 or $100, 1000 whatever you feel comfortable if you're an animal lover to take care and make this. But you can also go and check out that estate planning kit there and think about making them part of your estate so that this mission that Leo Grillo started can become an enduring one so that dogs, cats, horses can always have a lifelong no-kill sanctuary to be taken care of. Please go to deltarescue.org and help them out. I want to switch this for a second because I know when you're on the Hill, you were at the Intel Committee, mm -hmm. but the House has been doing this probe, impeachment probe against Biden. Last week, the media went absolutely nuts that the FBI had, had arrested or officials had arrested this FBI informant who David Weiss, one of the special counsels, had yeah. determined had lied and said that Biden had taken a bribe when apparently he'd made up this whole story and fabricated. And now the idea, <clears throat> excuse me, is that, well, that undermines the entire case of House Republicans, to which I thought to myself, well, what about a guy like Tony Babalewski, who testified and no one has impeached his testimony about the relationship that existed. So what? where do you think this impeachment stands and how big of a deal is that arrest for House Republicans? 
I mean, it's a big deal in terms of it being a blow to the Department of Justice and the FBI and their continued utilization of undercover sources for political purposes, whether it's Christopher Steele, whether it's all the Russiagate sources, whether it's this new guy, how it impacts Joe Biden's impeachment to me is almost irrelevant. You just now, yet again, FBI have been caught using American taxpayer dollars to go after political targets. That to me is the big story. That to me is the focus. And whether or not this helps or hurts Joe Biden's impeachment, again, to me, is completely irrelevant. What they need to be doing is asking what other political sources were the FBI using, say, in and around January 6th, in and around Donald Trump. We now have the new new Russiagate story that shows 26 people in the Trump campaign were targeted. Well, who paid for all that? Were there sources involved with that? Did you use overseas methods? I mean, the amount of corruption at the FBI is immediately connected with all the conversations we're having today about the Trump prosecutions and everything else, because those are all stood up based upon political operatives at the FBI and DOJ utilizing law enforcement for political means. So I think the the members of the House have an even bigger lift to do than, say, just the microcosm of Joe Biden's impeachment. I've always said they've got to go after the FBI and DOJ corruption. All right. So let's let's get to that, because this story last week and, and you alluded to it blows my mind. And, and it says sources say U.S. intelligence agency tasked foreign partners with spying on Trump's 2016 campaign. The U.S. intelligence community asked fellow members of the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance. That's U.S., New Zealand, Australia, London and Canada. Canada. Yep. Wow. See, pretty good there. Yeah. Uh, to surveil Trump's associates and share the intelligence they acquired with U.S. agencies, sources told a small team of independence reporters. In uh, and it says British intelligence sources began targeting Trump on behalf of American intelligence agencies, possibly as early as 2015, according to Tuesday's blockbuster article. Several articles had previously reported that the British Government Communications Headquarters, or GCHQ, had discovered the ties between Trump and the Russian government. Not so, said these reporters, Matt Taibbi and uh, and a couple of the others who were familiar with the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence Investigation, your former boss. Quote, in truth, the USIC, that's the intelligence community, asked Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance to surveil Trump's associates and share the intelligence they acquired with U.S. agencies. That's That's insane. Like, I, I, it's almost like, and remember Trump, when I was White House press secretary, you were there and Trump saying I was spied on and it was all, he's making this stuff up. Now we know it's not only true, it was directed around the globe. Yeah, look, so for me, as as the guy who led the Russiagate investigation and that knows that there's documents that have not been declassified, like we had asked about Russiagate, let's just go based on this reporting. I'm glad these guys put this story together and I'm glad the microscope is back on this because so many people said, no, no, that's nonsense. The DOJ and FBI would never do that. The IC would never do that. Well, think again. And why do you you must ask, did we at Russiagate do anything on this? Well, we actually wrote a 17-page report that Gina Haspel blocked from being released that speaks to Brennan's ICA. And so now you got to ask yourself, why is this report still being blocked? Why are selective journalists, not these guys, others, cheering the blockade of information? If you're a journalist, you would want this out there. And you got to ask yourself, these are the guys that wrote the Nunes memo. If they did the Nunes memo to Brennan's ICA, there's got to be something there to see. So I'm really happy these guys are on the trail. And if we're to believe they're reporting, any piece of it alone is illegal, let alone 26 times over. So I think Congress, again, because we don't have any other outlet really except the House majority over there, needs to demand the release 
of Devin and I's report from the ICA needs to subpoena everybody involved, Brennan, Gina, Clapper, Comey, whoever, and put the screws to them and ask them in front of the American public, did you get foreign adversaries to spy on Donald Trump unlawfully while you, the U.S. government, were already spying on Donald Trump unlawfully in 2016? Let's get some answers. Well, it's funny. You bring up, it says Obama CIA director John Brennan had identified 26 associates for the five eyes to target. Then at that time, and Dan Bongino, credit to him, brought this up, that Gina Haspel was the CIA London chief, right? So she's, then then under Trump, she becomes the CIA director. It seems to me as though they've created this little cabal to protect themselves, to make sure that nothing ever gets discovered. Well, here's what Dan was talking about. And this is what I put out the other day that that, uh, Dan was talking about. As CIA station chief, Sean, you know this, she's in charge of everything in the United Kingdom for the United States of America. That's the law. So when the FBI went over there and said, hey, we want to run some ops, we want to bump some people in a bar, we want to talk to this Papadopoulos guy and all that stuff, do you know who have to get permission from? Gina Haspel. So how is it that the London station chief, who authorized the Russiagate investigation, who would later go on to be Trump's CIA director and block the release of the ICA report we did against Brennan's ICA, How is it that she has not been subpoenaed once and asked a single solitary question about why did you launch the illegal Trump-Russiagate investigation? Why did you cover it up? And oh, by the way, Sean, do you know where she works today, Gina Haspel? She's the national security advisor at Chris Ray's law firm where Rod Rosenstein is a name partner with Sally Yates. Uh, I mean, I feel like there's days when you, you, the Hollywood couldn't make this crap up. You couldn't. No, I, I, I just... But I want to read you one other part that I thought was fascinating. It said, unknown details about the FBI's investigation of the Trump campaign and raw intelligence related to the IC, the intelligence community, surveillance of the Trump campaign, are in a 10-inch binder that Trump ordered to be declassified at the very end of his term. The three journalists stressed that this new information is supported by testimony already in the public record. In fact, much of the article confirms theories developed from this evidence gleaned over the years. Is this the report that you're talking about? So there's just a point of clarification. I think these guys got most of it right, but there's two things. At the end of the Trump administration, we created a binder of other Russiagate docs, other stuff that just hadn't been declassified that the deep state prevented Devin and I from putting out. So there's a stack of stuff over there, okay? Separate and apart from that is the report, a 17-page report that Devin Nunes and, and I, Russiagate team, did on Brennan's ICA meaning we investigated it, we took it apart, we spoke to people behind it, we made findings based on actual intelligence and called out corruption. That report is sitting, last I checked, at the CIA and has not been released or declassified in any way. We want both of those things out. And I don't know how we're going to do it, even though President Trump already declassified this, but the binder in question is sitting at DOJ per public reporting that NARA returned it to DOJ. So this wild goose chase that people are looking for the binder is totally misleading, in my opinion. Um, I want to ask you about Russia. The media and the left is all a tizzy about the threat that Russia poses, the, the killing of Navalny, his, his opponent, yeah. um, and the idea that if we don't just send another cache of weapons, no pun intended, um, that, that we are supporting Putin. Um, where do you see this playing out? Should we be helping? I mean, like it's to me, I don't, I, I think the problem in my mind and tell me if I'm wrong on this, I feel like we, we've been given a binary choice. We're either for Ukraine and sending over as much money as they want without any accountability or we're for Putin. 
And I don't, I don't think it's that easy. I think that, that the problem is, is that the Biden administration has no plan to win the war in Ukraine, number one. Number two, there's no accountability and their own State Department reported massive corruption. And, and there's, they, they want us just to say, to say yes without any strings attached. Well, the defense industrial complex, which owns the Biden administration and most of Congress, doesn't want this war to end ever. They want to keep printing money. It's how they keep making money. Um, putting that aside, I think everybody heard Putin when he was interviewed by Tucker Carlson even say, and whether you believe him or not, at least he said it, he wants an end to the war. He just, he's not going to negotiate an end to the war with Joe Biden. He's, he's winning. He doesn't need to do anything. He's winning the propaganda game. He's winning the game of international conspiracy or whatever you want to call it. But he would deal with a Donald Trump. And I think there is a way to bring that war to an end where all sides sit down and say, OK, we're going to do that. If Joe Biden had the ability to do that, he would. But I think what favors his campaign politically is the narrative that somehow he and his administration continue to deliver for the Ukrainians. And that somehow is politically advantageous for America. I don't agree with that, but I think that's the political posture they've taken. So they're not even trying to settle the war with uh, Putin because they know they can't. They don't have that ability to do so. And I think many in the uh, electorate are seeing that if Donald Trump were president, he would settle this thing overnight. So if you're Speaker Mike Johnson and you're being told you should just pass a bill to fund Ukraine, what, what, do, you, what do you do? I say no funding for the Ukraine until our border is secure. It's pretty simple. Um, there's just, you know, I can't believe that Americans don't care about 100,000 youth being killed by Chinese fentanyl. Yeah. I can't believe that that is less of a priority to them than what's going on in a country that half of them couldn't locate on the world stage. I, do, I don't believe that. I refuse to believe that. The fake news media has allowed that headline to be destroyed. And I think that our members of Congress need to stand up and say, look, we can help other countries. Let's just secure ours first. Let's clean up our streets and make it okay for our children to run outside and play and not be killed by Chinese fentanyl. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I, I don't. Under, in fact, I keep saying this over and over again. I think it's ridiculous that we haven't, as Republicans, unified around that message. It's the fentanyl, the mm -hmm. sex trafficking, the child trafficking, yeah. the, the terrorists that are coming. I mean, like to me, this is like... It, it's actually just disgusts me considering what we went through on 9-11 and that we're sitting here yeah. debating that we should be trading something for border security. Let's just say in a perfect world, they agreed to border security. They gave Republicans everything they wanted. Let's get back to the, the, the debate about funding Ukraine. So mm -hmm. they give everything they want for border security. What do we do about funding Ukraine then? Well, one... We have to make sure it doesn't turn into the next Afghanistan. The DOD inspector general just came out last week or last month and said, we've lost $1.2 billion worth of arms and cash in the Ukraine. That's what he's telling us he's lost to date of the $125 billion we've given over there. And so if we're going to give any more funding, we have to go back and find out what happened to all our money in the first place. And then if we're going to actually give them more money, then maybe we do it methodically and not just wire some money into a bank account or drop it off in helicopters and say, okay, what's this actually going to be utilized for? And there's nothing wrong with putting strings on that. We can't just give it to Zelensky and say, all right, here you go, free check. You know, go do what you want and report back to us. There has to be an actual measure of oversight. I, I agree. I just, to me, it's just, there are things that happen sometimes and I go, I just don't understand this isn't that hard. And yet it's made difficult. I want to ask you a final question in the last minute that we have. <clears throat> What what Donald Trump's barreling towards the nomination and by all poll estimates would beat Joe Biden today. If he wins, 
what does what are the priorities that he needs to have from an intelligence uh, DOD like standpoint? Like in sixty seconds, what is his what are what yeah. does that sort of look like in the first hundred days? I think, for my opinion, it's a combination of things. One, personnel, and we've talked about that before, but it's personnel not just at the top, not just in the middle, but up and down. You are in government to serve as a privilege. You must follow the commander in chief's lawful commands, or you should leave. Two. You have to get out there and put out all this information we've been talking about on the show. A government has abused its classification systems to cover up corruption. And whatever the subject is, whether it's Afghanistan, Ukraine, Mexico, whatever, we've got to put out a whole ton of documents. Not everything, but a lot of stuff has to come out. And I think Americans will start having belief again in their government structures when we fix their corruption. And three, we've got to figure out a way to have internal accountability. And I think President Trump can do that when he um, wins the presidency and installs a DOJ and FBI and eliminates the politicization. The ironic thing is the radical left and the deep state are the ones who have implemented politics into DOJ, into the IC, into the DOD. And President Trump is the one that's going to be able to remove that. So once you rip that out of government, we can have internal accountability for those that broke the law. I think the one upside is we finally see it. And we, I think people just assume that it could never happen in the FBI or the IC. And now we see it. Last question for you. Trump wins. Are you back in a second Trump administration? My job is just to get him to win. And then I'll I'll wake up on November 6th or whatever that date is and see what the new world looks like. All right. I'll take that as a yes. Cash Patel, happy President's Day. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate you all starting your President's Day with us. Please continue to watch, share, subscribe. We've got a big week ahead. Newt Gingrich is going to be here. As I said, the South Carolina primaries are this Saturday. We will have all of that ready for you. Have a good day. We'll see you back here tomorrow.